Hi, we obviously talk about some brutal and you know gruesome things a lot here, but this episode is particularly content warning worthy. We're talking about the film Caligula, which includes graphic violence and incest and real unsimulated sex, and we talk about all of it in great detail. So if that's not your jam, then this might be one for you to miss. Janina. Hi, Emma. How you doing? I'm not bad. How are you? I'm tired, but <laughs> that is okay. That is fair. Yeah. So we are doing something a bit different this week because it's been a busy couple of weeks, but we felt everybody deserved an episode. And so instead of matriarchal societies, we are going to talk about the fact that we finally sat down and watched the 1979 Bob Guccione masterpiece of really fucking terrible filmmaking, Caligula. <laughs> uh, we were going to actually talk about it together on the day, but it didn't end up happening because we had a nice time together instead, quite frankly, and we didn't yeah. have time to record before I had to come back home again. Uh, yeah, but we watched and, uh... it together with some of our friends and uh-huh. um, Anna McDonald's and a hangover. Yeah. Yeah. The perfect way to watch it, I think, is hangover and with some McDonald's. I would eat, recommend probably eating the McDonald's before the first 20 minutes is over. But, <laughs> <laughs> but also we very much felt that people probably wouldn't want to hear us eating chips. Yeah. Which, which I think is fair and reasonable. Also, sometimes it would have been, I feel like, tough to remember that we were supposed to be saying something more interesting than just holy shit. Over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the problem with it is that for all of the wild, wild moments that occur, large chunks of it are very boring. It's so boring when it's not being outrageous. It's like yeah. a, the, the latter half of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for people who have not watched or heard of Caligula, it is one of my strange obsessions in life because. <laughs> It is both, its conception is completely bananas. The making of is somehow more bananas. (laughs) And then the final, there is no final product. There's about 18 different final products, each of which is somehow worse than the last. (laughs) It should be put into a capsule and shot into space. Yeah. So that aliens can find it to understand what humans will make when left to their own devices. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Caligula is a film that was made by Penthouse, the porno magazine, in the late 1970s. And the kind of vision for it originally was that it would combine the production values and acting quality and kind of kudos and gravitas 
of something like Ben-Hur or Spartacus or Quo Vadis or the Ten Commandments, like these big 60s and 70s historical epics, but it would also have just tons of tits in it. <laughs> so it was supposed to be a very, very high-class porno Um and so it combines a script that was originally written by Gore Vidal, <laughs> the very famous writer uh, of such books as Julian um, and Lincoln. The names attached to it are just yeah. wild. It really, it really spins your head around. <laughs> it stars as Caligula Malcolm McDowell, mm-hmm. kind of at the height of his young career. This is after. A Clockwork Orange and things like that. So it's a big name at the time. Helen Mirren, who has always been a big name. Peter O'Toole and uh, Sir John Gielgud. So as of now, I think, does Malcolm McDowell have any kind of name? I don't think he does. I don't think he's ever been given an honour. Oh, not as far as I know. No, but But definitely... Helen Mirren, obviously, is a dame now. Yes, Peter O'Toole is... Yeah. Did he ever get anything? Possibly not because he's Irish. (laughs) Yeah, he wouldn't have taken it. No, Peter O'Toole never got anything, which feels rude. Mm -hmm. But Sir John Gilgood and uh, Peter O'Toole and Dame Helen Mirren are all very big names that are attached. So it kind of going in, it has this this air of seriousness um, and Shakespearean weight. Real legitimacy artistic yeah. merit <laughs> and then they got tinto brass to film it who is known primarily as being a porn director he was not under any circumstances a good director <laughs> he made a bunch of kind of middling kind of somewhat experimental films but was never particularly considered to be a great particularly which shows at every level like obviously the director doesn't build everything to do with the film but they are in charge of the artistic vision so like it is ultimately the buck stopping with him in terms of how terrible absolutely everything to do with this is before we even get to the porn like the thing that struck me the the first thing that struck me was just like and the thing I haven't got over since was the costumes, which like from the very first scene, which is like Caligula and his sister Drusilla in just like little simple white togas. And you look at them and you're like, that is the cheapest fabric I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's distracting. All of the costumes, it feels like they put a lot of money into the sets and obviously a lot of money into the stars who were all big names and then it feels like they very much ran out of money when it came to lighting and also (laughs) costumes although so i fished out my notes because i'm obsessed with this film i for two years taught a course on it at the university of birmingham (laughs) on caligula in the modern imagination and so i have a lot of stuff which i prepared for students so that they could read this stuff without having to watch everything about it And there is, I found this quote from Bob Guccione. Bob Guccione, it's important that everybody knows. One, he looks exactly like you imagine a 1970s pornographer to look. Yeah, he's the producer, right? Yeah. So he's a producer and like, this is his baby. 
Like yeah. it's his, he conceived of it, he put it together and he oversaw it and then he stole the footage and edited it. <laughs> it's funny because like I have some sympathy for his goals because I have thought, you know, you could conceivably make just a solid film with good writing and performances and just have sex in it. Jamie yeah. always says to me, my partner, that like you would never get the actors. <laughs> like you wouldn't get good actors to do that because if you're you can act well enough <laughs> to make that sort of quality stuff, then you maybe don't want to do porn. But I don't know if the if the industry got a little bit more respect, if we weren't so horrible to sex workers. I don't know. You could you could find some yeah. real skilled performers who were who wanted to do that. And why not? You know, you get there's really well written erotic novels. Why don't we? You know, there's a a way you could expand that to films, but just no one ever puts the money into it. Yeah, and to be fair, that's what Malcolm McDowell and Helen Mirren and Peter O'Toole were sold, which was that this was going to be an erotic film with sex scenes that are more akin to... What's that Daphne du Maurier film in Venice? Don't Look Now. (laughs) Have you seen Don't Look Now? I haven't seen Don't Look Now. Oh, maybe I have. I can't, it would have been a long time ago. So you should, well, don't look now, but it's very, it's like a couple in Venice trying to get over the death of their daughter. But it has a sex scene in the middle between Donald Sutherland and Sharon Williams. Julie Christie. Which is like considered to be sort of peak 1970s eroticism, but also really, really look like they're actually a couple having sex. (laughs) And that is basically like what, what they were sold when they were, being asked to be in Caligula is that it's going to be like erotic and intimate and hot and also classy. Yeah. And what they did instead is make this. Um, this Anyway, Bob Guccione, who looks like a 1970s pornographer, with the silk shirts cut to the navel, hairy chest, 400 gold medallions. <laughs> he says that everything for this film was made by hand. The sets, the costumes and jewellery were all made by artisans. It is a package of excellence. It just feels like they were all made by him personally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The costumes very much look like a school production of, like, uh, some kind of Roman. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you're going to have Roman soldiers in a nativity. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, gold glittery fabric. That looks like it costs, like, maximum two pounds a metre, you know, like, real cheap shit. Yeah. It's got to be, it must have been scratchy. (laughs) Well, thankfully, there's only two inches of it on a person at any given time. (laughs) That is true. It is astonishing that there are not more dicks in this film because everybody's costume is a tiny little tunic, which goes (laughs) at best to the bottom of their balls. (laughs) And all of the women are constantly have one boob out. (laughs) Possibly to save money. Minimum one boob out. Yeah, minimum one boob out, which is pretty funny because they're like Roman toga is two meters of wool. <laughs> the precise opposite <laughs> of everything that they are wearing. God bless them. <laughs> yeah, but so that was the kind of aim. But they got Tinto Brass in. Tinto Brass does not really know how to light or shoot any of the sets that he's got and inexplicably puts one red light bulb on everything. Yeah. Because red is the sexy color, obviously. <laughs> And also the colour of blood. So, Mm. yeah, so it looks awful. And it's shot in a very odd way. But 
Bob Guccione decided during the production that he was very unhappy with the quality of the sex scenes mm-hmm. because he actually did not want to make an erotic film. He wanted to make a fairly hardcore porn. Yeah. And so during and after the shooting of the principal scenes with the main actors, he took a guy who was shooting a behind the scenes feature <laughs> because he was so pleased with how it was with the idea of it that he was already shooting his making of sure he would take that guy and a load of penthouse pets that he flew in to italy they would sneak onto the set on off days and evenings and shoot just incredibly hardcore scenes and he was constantly badgering tinto brass to make the scenes that he was shooting much more hardcore eventually they fell out so badly that guccione and uh, Giancarlo Lu took the rolls of film, <laughs> wrapped the film, the physical film around their bodies and snuck it out of the country and went to London where they edited together their own version of the film, putting all of the scenes in an effectively random order and then editing in their own very, very hardcore <laughs> <laughs> sections of so the kind of the two big ones really are a scene where Caligula is having a threesome with his sister and his wife, which Guccione felt was far too tame because it just has sort of kissing and and some fondling, fondling of butts. There's a lot of fun. Like Tinto Brass really loved a butt, like just a randomly patted butt. He also loved the the emotional go to to be like groping a boob. You know, like there's this moment where like there's this tender moment between Caligula and his sister and he just approaches her and looks into her eyes and gazes and just like grabs a tit. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always like rubbing a tit in a way as if you were trying to like clean a patch on a window. (laughs) Like like it doesn't look like anybody is having a nice time. Like even... (laughs) The person who is interested in the tit or the butt it just doesn't really look like they look like someone saying, and now rub the boo. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, do I have to? But yeah, Tinto Brass is kind of notorious, like in all of his work, in, even before, like with just butts. Like that's his thing. Sure. I mean, butts are nice. Sure. But yeah, so, there's, so that's what his thing is, is just sort of focusing on a buttock and then a bit of a boob and then some kind of artful panning and then Guccione edited in a utterly pointless and extremely 1970s lesbian 69 scene that goes on forever (laughs) just and is leaves nothing to the imagination it's like the precise opposite of tasteful panning it's more like zooming in on a clitoris (laughs) so thankfully we'd finished the McDonald's by that point And the other one is the big orgy on a boat, which goes on for 12,000 years. Yeah, it feels like the entire film. (laughs) (laughs) And yet somehow it's still an incredibly long film. (laughs) And that is 50% Malcolm McDowell and Helen Mirren marching around doing a speech while a lovely lady wiggles a bottom. (laughs) And 50% enormous cocks going into mouths. Yeah. And a woman being fingered in a way that feels like a hate crime. (laughs) 
Yeah. We were all real hungover while we were watching this. So I'm glad <laughs> I had seen it before. I don't know how it was. Like, I know everything that happens in it because I've seen it like 50 times. <laughs> so it's always fun to watch it with other people who are like, Jesus. <laughs> like, you hear. You hear that there's this weird film that Helen Mirren is in and that also has full sex. But nothing can prepare you for how determined it is like it's not like they shot they didn't shoot sex to look nice or sexy they just did a lot of extreme close-ups of of genitals coming into contact with faces in various (laughs) configurations (laughs) and i think there was also one shot just i think there was just one shot of like p and v penetrative sex but most of it is is face-based and it just keeps happening (laughs) (laughs) it does which given how funny the romans were about oral sex is very funny to me because they thought it was the rudest thing you could ever possibly do i mean caligula was trying to be pretty rude in the film so maybe that's why he was being a really rude boy yeah and then it has all of these very very graphic very very horrific scenes of violence yeah that i have to say probably tinto brass's finest work because they really are visceral yeah despite the fact that the fake blood looks again cheap as chips it's clearly poster paint yeah it's still like very brutal violence that feels brutal even if it feels fake yeah Mm. and because i was not 100 with it and i put the wrong dvd in originally and put the theatrical cut so there are a minimum of 18 and up to 40 ish cuts of this film depending on how you want to count it (laughs) if you wish to know all about all of the different cuts then you can go to caligula.org which has every piece of information you could ever possibly want written by a person who hates the film but is obsessed (laughs) with it even more than i am it's a really understandable response to be obsessed with it yeah the thing is that once so you much. start you can't stop it's called caligula.org and the subtitle of the website is how caligula cursed the cast and crew how it cursed my life and how it cursed the lives of my friends <laughs> and they have counted i mean this is not all of them they've counted 42 different versions it's too many worse than george lucas some of which were shown only once some of which were never actually shown but are rumoured to exist. One of which was dismantled in the process of editing. (laughs) (laughs) And so there were 42 variations on how this was cut, which range from 90 minutes to 210 minutes. It's too too big a a difference, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They average around about 147 to 155. Yeah, that's long. But there are, yeah, there are a lot of different editions. And as a result, it's like in terms of talking about what happens in the film and what the story of the film is, it's really unstable because... I own four different editions. That's too many editions to own, I have to tell you that. (laughs) And there is a new edition coming out allegedly later this year, which I will also be purchasing, um, (laughs) which has been re-edited completely and is attempting to put it back together according to the script that Gore Vidal wrote. Have there been any moves to reshoot it according to Gore Vidal's script? I don't believe so. I think the penthouse still owns it. Mm. There was a few years ago a trailer 
that came out for a hypothetical version which starred Courtney Love as Caligula. I would um, watch the hell out of that. Yes. <laughs> make it. Make it for me. Yeah, and was kind of a like a, an imagined trailer for how you could remake it. That was quite fun. Yeah, and lots of very famous people kind of briefly in it. Mm. So Helen Mirren was back and it, it kind of gender swapped a lot of people but also didn't. But it had... Um, Jared Butler was a character. Oh, I could do without that. That's... Courtney Love was Caligula. If I remember correctly, they had Helen Mirren as a gender swap Tiberius. I mean, she'd knock that out of the park. Yeah. She'd be great. So, and it's a shame that they never made it. <laughs> <laughs> but but that I'll put that trailer in the show notes because it's definitely on YouTube. And then there is another edition which is coming out this year. But Gore Vidal's script, which I also have, because as I say, I am... A low-key nerd. I mean, it's not like the best thing I've ever read, <laughs> but it is trying. Yeah. <laughs> so the original conception, and tell me if this it sounds anything at all like the film that you saw yesterday. Uh-huh. The original conception for the film was that it would be about an innocent, normal young man who's quite sheltered and has had kind of a traumatic childhood <laughs> living under Tiberius, who is a tyrant, who has, to be fair, killed all of his family, mm-hmm. who grows up knowing that he's either going to die or be the emperor. Mm-hmm. And then when he becomes the emperor, he swears he's going to be good, but is gradually corrupted by the experience of power Yeah, until he becomes himself the tyrant that Tiberius was and is then killed for it. Yeah, no, that what happens instead is that we are introduced to him while he is fucking his sister (laughs) and then he chickens out of murdering Tiberius, Mm -hmm. has his friend executed when his friend kills Tiberius instead and then just does nonsense for the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. horrible, violent, sexual nonsense over and over again all the time. Yeah, and it... It is to me clearly shot that he, like the f- so the first scene is obviously him fucking his sister, which is interesting. I have a whole paper that I wrote about the uh, f- how the way that that is depicted, <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes to see Tiberius in Tiberius's kind of palace of nightmares, which is mostly <sighs> it only makes sense if you've already read Suetonius is the problem. <laughs> Because it's all just basically ripped from Tuatonius and turned up to 200. Yeah. But the uh, the, the whole bit in Tiberius's palace, which is shot as though it's a cave, not like the beautiful villa that it is on Capri that you can still go and visit. But it's for some reason a dark cave with only red light bulbs, which has like lots of women breastfeeding children and then just kind of freaks of nature hopping. Yeah. Just, so there's a person with three faces and a woman with three boobs and a person with a broken leg and a man on stilts. and yeah. a lot of like uh, double hands and double feet. Yeah, and th- th- for some reason just a lot of hopping and jigging about. Just and- like if you, if someone who had never met anyone who was actually disabled or had any sort of physical <laughs> deformity heard loosely of the concept of a freak show... <laughs> and was asked to de- to design one. This yeah. is what this is what you in get. a cave. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they were going for freaks, and they just ended up with disasters. 
But yeah, it is. Uh, and there's just like every time it shoots on it, because it's supposed to be like this tableau of depravity. But all you can see is three men jigging in a corner, like hopping about like Morris dancers, but nude. Yeah. One man hopping around in a circle and another guy on stilts. And you're like, what? is happening. <laughs> yeah. And why? And why, if you were the emperor of Rome, is this what you want in your house? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure, well, I say pretty sure, this is definitely supposed to be like what Tiberius was believed to be doing on his island, which is that he allegedly had grottos that were filled with sexy young enslaved people who would have sex for him to watch and sometimes they would be like dressed up as nymphs and satyrs or sometimes they would be doing like aerobic sex then he would get acrobats in to like have sex upside down or whatever and he also did some terrible things with his minnows who he calls his little fishies and who are kind of grown adults in the thing are supposed to be children in Suetonius and so that is what they're attempting to portray. But what they've actually done is just a man hopping. <laughs> and some, in fairness, the effects on that bit are pretty freaky. And if you weren't just trying to squint to see what was happening, there's potential yeah. that it could be. And But Caligula is clearly intrigued and somewhat delighted by the whole situation from the start. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you get is a guy who thinks this is great and then does a murder and then is just a bastard for the next two hours. Yeah, and every so often there's a cum shot. Yeah, and every so often there's a cum shot. But they, <laughs> there is a the documentary that is available on the Imperial Edition, like the making of documentary, has all of these different interpretations of what they think they're doing. And every single person who is involved thinks they're doing something different. <laughs> which explains why it ends up looking like they... <laughs> Because Bob Guccione thinks that he's making a high class but very, very accurate, what he calls a paganography. Uh huh. That is about how a very realistic account of what Rome is like, and that he thinks that Christianity ruined sex, that sex was a way of life for the Romans. Is that why it has that weird thing? Because it starts with two title cards that I found very, very funny. The first title yeah. card just reads, Pagan Rome. And then the second <laughs> one has a quote from Mark, the quote that is, um, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Mm-hmm. And then we start the movie with, again, as we've said, Caligula having a ranty Goodness. time in the woods with his sister. And it makes no sense. And it like the quote is the only remnant of, this is meant to be about someone innocent, becoming corrupt that's the only it just doesn't track (laughs) yeah so that's what bob guccione thinks he's doing he thinks he's making a very accurate paganography i will say though one of the things i think often i think a lot about paul about the apostle paul who was you know the founder of the church as we know it and also quite clearly deranged because (laughs) um Mm -hmm. he's he just like was a fanatical person. His person really that was, was his personality was fanaticism. He was fanatic as a Pharisee. And then when he converted to Christianity, he was fanatical about that. And the way I sort of think about the book of Romans in the Bible, which is where he says all of the crap stuff, like this is the only bit of the New Testament that talks about homosexuality. It's where he says, you know, that women shouldn't talk and that um, men shouldn't get married. They should devote themselves purely to God. Like he says a lot of nonsense in, in Romans. It's a really 
yeah. dense, complicated, weird bit of the Bible. And I've always been a bit like, you can kind of get it, right? Because here was this guy who came from this fundamentalist Jewish sect that was very rigid and strict. And he went to Rome. And this Caligula film sort of, I feel like this is what Paul saw. <laughs> when he looked at Rome coming from the background <laughs> that he did you know it's like dropping an Amish kid in the middle of the Vegas strip on a Saturday night you know yeah <laughs> and they That's, see it yeah. as much much more exaggerated and wild because it's compared to something so staid and quiet yeah that's yeah and he's hardline that's my favorite thing about the Pauline letters is that you have the Pauline letters like Romans and things like that which are incredibly hardline and are and like you know Corinthians and are like you know man will be the head of the woman as God is the head of the church and like you will not lay with a man as a woman man lies with a woman and they're like super hardline like don't get married stop fucking looking at each other yeah. immediately stop having any joy and then there are all these like deuteropauline letters or the pseudopauline letters like Hebrews um, and Ephesians which are like well, maybe it's maybe it's all right to get married <laughs> if you really feel like you have to. Yeah, and maybe it's all right if if we just live sure. our lives a bit. And so the Pauline, which were written much later and kind of inserted in, because living according to Paul was only okay if you thought that Jesus was coming back literally next year. Yeah, you can only maintain that for so long. You can really only, like, if you want to grow, you can't grow the religion and also have everybody be hardline aesthetic. Yeah, like. you can go on a spiritual retreat, but then at some point you have to go home and do laundry. Yeah. But yeah, so the, even from those quotes, like, you can tell how deeply confused this film is. <laughs> Yeah. Malcolm McDowell thinks that he's playing a man who is simultaneously a victim of horrible uh, tyranny and also a, a revolutionary and a dangerous radical mm-hmm. who is not innately evil, but in fact, very deeply sympathetic. <laughs> Which you should, you should, as, as an actor, you should always find some something to be sympathetic about in, in who you're playing, even if they're a monster. Like you are the person yeah. who is there to explore their humanity because otherwise you're going to give a really two-dimensional performance but like i don't think he plays him as a normal average man though no no he plays him as a man who loves to prance around looking like he's pretending to ride a horse yes tinto thinks that he is making a film about a sexual mad mad man (laughs) who and he says he is crazy foolish and totally immoral I did a spiritual meeting and I invoked the spirit of Caligula and he told me that I was right to 65% in my interpretation of his character. I am happy with that percentage. It is a good percentage. And now I hope to keep the 65 and get it to 70 or 80%. (laughs) I am using sex because I believe in sex as a medium of communication. Everyone understands the language of sex. (laughs) Yeah, no one has ever in the history of the world been confused about sex. No, Gore Vidal thinks that he is writing quite a literary thing about the corrupting influence of power. Mm-hmm. And altogether, what you end up with is a film that starts at 11 and then just kind of skims along at 11 and no one grows or learns or changes 
or <laughs> there's no actual plot. It's just Caligula is introduced. He becomes the emperor. He sucks from the start. He continues to suck through to the end. And then like, he dies. And then he dies. At no point does the evil get better or worse or he doesn't change. There are attempts to... Like, if you watch it approximately 10 times, I would say. <laughs> which no one should is, do. Which no, I really do not recommend it to anyone at all, although it's something that I have done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you watch it, then you can see that there is also a subplot about the influence of women on his life, which is that Drusilla, who is his great love and also his sister, like the love of his life, is like a calming influence and she's supposed to be teaching him to be good. Yeah. And then Sazonia, who is Helen Mirren, who is introduced at a lesbian orgy, which in any of the current editions anyway, Guccione did not get his hands on. And she is supposed to be the bad influence who encourages him to do the raping and the murdering, which would work if it wasn't for the fact that one of the first thing that Drusilla does when he becomes emperor is encourage him to kill everybody. Yeah, and also if Helen Mirren had more than, like, four lines. I don't know if she even has four lines, to be honest. Yeah, she's <laughs> like just kind the- of there, and sometimes her boobs are out. And, like, this is Dame Helen Mirren. She can say a line. She laughs, she dances. She does a lot of dancing and giggling. Yes. And hand clapping and but she has almost no actual lines because yeah. she's none nobody in it apart from kind of Caligula is a character. Apart from the porn scenes, there are no scenes that don't have Gaius in them. And everyone else, their entire whoever they are in the cast, whoever they're playing, their role is to sometimes be cut to so they can have a facial expression in response to what Caligula is doing. Yes. Yes. And so nothing goes anywhere. (laughs) It just goes along. It's like driving a really long straight road through the the Midwest in cornfields, except every so often a moose or a massive cow dies next to you. It's very unclear about what is happening when and who knows what is happening is when there's this bit where he's like he runs around in the streets after Drusilla dies and ends up in prison and goes down a slide into the prison goes down to slide into a prison and makes a best friend there and there it cuts between him there and the people in the palace saying yeah things but like it's the senate how does he make his best friend Janina I can't even remember. I can't remember how he makes it. He makes his best friend with the best way that you can make friends. Oh, close-up magic. Close-up magic. Yeah. He makes a coin disappear and appear behind a man's ear. Um, And then he gets a best friend. But, like, it's not... (laughs) Who has no lines. Like, in a normal film, that whole situation will be played out as, like, Caligula is missing and no one knows where he is, which seems to be what (laughs) is happening... But you can uh-huh. only get there by peering very, very closely at it like it's a magic eye. Yes. You really do have to try as and hard as possible. He just turns up back again and he's brought his prison friend, but we don't know how he got out of prison. We don't know if anyone even knew he was there. It's just a series of basically unrelated events. I know this, I think, entirely from the script, which is that he shows them the coin with his face on it and it's like, eh, eh, eh. Oh, I see. 
Yeah. It is for this reason that Gore Vidal entirely disowned the film, despite being... He comes in... Before he even knew about the porn, right? It was that, but also he absolutely despised the entire making of film. He fell out really hard with Tinto Brass on set. That tracks. I mean, you take one set, look at the set and you'd fall out with him. <laughs> what the fuck's going on? There's a lot of things like in the making of documentary where Gorvidal's not in it very much because he'd fallen out with everybody. Mm-hmm. And so they focus on the people that had not sued to get their name taken off of it. Yeah, he kind of, fe- he fell out with everyone very badly. Mm-hmm. He thought that Tinto Brass was ruining shooting the scenes that he had written and there were lots of rumours going around that Bob Guccione was rewriting the script and there was kind of fake evidence going backwards and forwards with people like faking either rushes or um, like screenplay pages and sending mm-hmm. them to Gorv Down. Everybody was kind of falling out very badly. He absolutely hated Tinto Brass very badly. I can... Yeah, I mean, fear. <laughs> he wanted... His vision of it was that everybody, it would be more like HBO's Rome. Yes, right. Everybody would be, they would be kind of dirty streets and togas and everybody, everything would look lived in and a bit grubby. And what they made, when he turned up and found that they were making a thing that involved a surprising amount of orange lame. <laughs> well, and when you say surprising, you mean very little because they were barely, it was barely skimming the tops of people's thighs. It is similar. It's surprising both in how much it is, <laughs> which is that there's any at all. Yes, and how little it is in that it does not cover. <laughs> mm, how little you need to really cover everything. <laughs> so he and he really does envision it as a kind of a normal boy who is innocent and corrupted by power. And when he sees what is being made. He just absolutely hates it. When he hears that people are rewriting his script and changing his words, he is furious and he he hates everything about what's being made. Mm-hmm. So that makes the filming of it quite tense. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. What I want I want two things uh, related uh-huh. to Killigula to happen. I would like Essentially an oral history, but just everyone gets asked one question, which is, when did you realize this was going to be a pile of turd? <laughs> because it's not like it's all like you could you could imagine that no like no one knew about the porn scenes that were being secretly shot at night, but they did yeah. know about the wigs and the prancing around and the costumes. So like at what point? Did did they realize? The other thing I want is like <laughs> not Hearts of Darkness because I don't I don't want a documentary. I want a movie about them. I want like a disaster artist movie. <laughs> you know, I would absolutely love a disaster artist about it because I think that like there's so much happening on the set. Like they because then Tinto Brass and Gore Vidal fall out. Not Gorvidal, Tinto Brass and Bob Guccione fall out <laughs> over how erotic it is, which is he feels it's really not they both have very different visions of what the sex scene should look like. Yeah. And so they fall out. And what you end up having is like factions on set. Yeah. With people taking sides and people not talking to each other and like some quite vicious arguments occurring. And so I feel like 
yeah it would be it would be quite fun yeah if anyone if like apple tv or someone wants to hire the two of us to write a mini series about yeah then please feel free we would do that yeah uh yeah so gore vidal eventually said that he sued he protested against the film then he sued because he thought that the amount of porn that was being put in it was illegal like according to 1970s obscenity legislation and what you could put on film and in fairness having seen like the stuff that they shot you would not be allowed to put that in a cinema probably now and um so he said i'm chessing because they're filming something that i didn't write in a style that is not mine and with an obscenity that i am not responsible for in other words i refuse to risk prison for somebody else's porno mania (laughs) so he he then calls Tinto Brass a parasite who makes a living by speculation on the talents of the screenwriter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's very <laughs> difficult to argue. I mean, he is not he is not a good good director like at all. No, he has no idea what he's doing. Like even knowing that I mean, the footage in all of the editions that we have is cut together in near enough random order like apart from the fact that it begins with Tiberius and ends with him dying which incidentally is also a shot that could have been quite good but they ruin it by putting a horse in it (laughs) yeah um the thing about Um, it is that makes it the, the, the thing that makes it genuinely entertaining to watch but unfortunately only holds you through the first section of the film is that there are <laughs> multiple actors who are incredibly skilled and who are basically doing what Alan Rickman's character in Galaxy Quest has to do all the time, which is <laughs> yeah. being a piece of nonsense and act as if you are a serious Shakespearean actor, which they are. Yeah. And um, God bless Sir John Gilgood. Like, he really is a pro. <laughs> He's just like... yeah. Really doing his job. The guy who plays Macro also, you can see him just like visibly being committed to the scenes he is in um, in a way that is really admirable. <laughs> yeah. Given the circumstances. Like John Gilgood, God bless him, God has bless no him. idea what he's in. Yeah. I feel I, It's like they didn't even show it. They just showed him some lines from the script because even the original script has a lot of like a man is watching and masturbating. <laughs> But but like the scenes that they show him are just like him being a serious man, and then but even at even having said that, like they must have at one don't shown him the set, and he's gone, and he the set on the he set. does his he was he, he was does his main set. he was wearing the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> his main scene is so John Gilgood plays a guy called Nerva who is supposed to be kind of the last good man in Rome. And this is based on a kind of one line in Suetonius about a friend of Tiberius's who kills himself when by cutting his wrists in a bath by because he won't doesn't want to be ruled by Caligula. And so that is what that is what Nerva John Gilgood is playing. But his final big death scene, which is quite long, is filmed in a big glass bath surrounded by red marble in a cave yeah and it it looks ridiculous (laughs) and it makes you instead of thinking gosh i wonder what's what what a what a powerful scene look at john gilgood doing some acting i really feel the weight of all that blood in the bath you're thinking 
There's no way the Romans had sheet glass like that. <laughs> no one's... Who's building a glass? Well, that's not going to stand... They couldn't build glass that could stand up to the pressure of that much water. It's massive. It's the size of a hot tub. <laughs> if it eight people in that, this is... And all you can think is, this looks ridiculous. <laughs> so I feel like he must have at some point been like, and this is, this is what you... This is the set. <laughs> this is all right. Okay. <laughs> and the thing is, I have I've long thought that sort of in the British uh, acting establishment, there's a more tolerance for like things being a bit low rent. I think because of the BBC, you know, actors, really high prestige actors have been turning up in Doctor Who for ages and it's this respectable, like mm-hmm. lovely thing. And so I don't think you're as likely to get on your high horse about production values as maybe a Hollywood actor might. But that's because you know what you're in for. You know what the production is supposed to be and it's hitting that and you're committing to that. But if you've been sold this Ben-Hur level, (laughs) like sexy but still, you know, historical biographical film and then you turn up (laughs) and it's this... um, you know, I I just think you wouldn't be you wouldn't be judged for just turning on your heel and walking in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, the whole yeah, <laughs> I yeah they have I have to say to obviously Peter Atul and John Gilgood are dead now, but both Malcolm McDowell and Helen Mirren have kind of come round. They they've never disowned it. They've always been like, well, all right, uh, <laughs> and both of them have done commentaries for it. <laughs> on talking about the experience, quite how they have managed to, like, poor old Helen Mirren really has to stretch herself because <laughs> she's not in it as much as you'd think. But, yeah, it is... Um, <laughs> they have kind of embraced the fact that it exists and that it is its own kind of monstrous disaster and that it is such... In a kind of room-like manner, it's such a disaster that you kind of can't stop looking at it yeah yeah possibly if you have as high a tolerance for gore (laughs) and boredom (laughs) as i do (laughs) yeah because you really do have to uh stretch yourself you do you do have to sit through a lot of scenes where you're like again it makes and possibly I'm less bored because I'm always looking at it because I know where it's come from. Like, yeah. I recognise all of these beats. They're all just, like, the big beats taken out of, of Suetonius, mm. except for the big death machine that's chopping off people's heads <laughs> while they throw <laughs> potatoes at them, which, in fairness, they came up with by themselves. <laughs> which is kind of... I found that kind of entertaining because this is this is the way his friend Mac Rowe is executed. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible. Like, it's this giant big moving wall with a lot of people standing on it for some reason that has these big spinning blades at the bottom of it. And everyone in the arena is buried up into their neck. So they just have to watch it come towards them. But then the death is actually kind of quick and painless. Like, you just get your head lopped off. Like, it's not it's not torturous so much as it is a spectacle, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Except people are throwing potatoes at them. Yeah, so it's very undignified. But It's undignified and also potatoes didn't exist. I really feel like they could have tried harder. <laughs> what should they have been throwing instead of potatoes to be more accurate? I mean, just any like old world vegetable mm. would be fine. Or fruit. Or a fruit, an apple, fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the two things that really like everybody should know come from the americas are potatoes and tomatoes mm-hmm. like potatoes tomatoes corn like all yeah. of that is is not european so like virtually anything else <laughs> <laughs> even yeah even peppercorns would be more accurate <laughs> that's a weirdly specific thing that i've said but they would import pepper but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I can watch it and I'm like intensely fascinated as to how they got from like the bit where Macro kills Tiberius with a bit of gauze. <laughs> because for some reason, because Tinto Brass is such a bad director that he desperately wanted to have Peter O'Toole dying on screen and doing a big long death scene but they wanted to have him suffocated instead of strangled or whatever so he has him suffocated with a bit of black gauze like it looks like something you would buy in a like fabric shop it would be on a tutu if you're playing the black swan this is what your skirt is made of yeah and so he's suffocated with a bit of gauze and you're like I fucking see his face he can breathe (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it doesn't matter how tightly you push it down he can he can breathe (laughs) these guys are out (laughs) yeah and so like there's that bit and you're kind of watching it and it, you can kind of see where they're going with it, which is that this comes from a bit of Suetonius, but one of which says that Gaius killed him and one of which says that Macro did it for him and they've had a Macro do it so that Caligula still remains kind of innocent because this is something that's a hangover from the original script, but he clearly wants it to happen. And also they're doing it with gauze, so you're spending the entire time going, you can breathe through that. <laughs> And like the whole situation with, which I was super obsessed with for a while back about 15 years ago, like the situation with Drusilla as his true love. His sister is the one woman that he loves and who is this calming influence on him. And she's the only person who can calm him down when he's like afraid of birds and afraid of the rain and thinks that someone's going to kill him. And all of their scenes that are shot together have their scene from the Ballet of Spartacus. They have this kind of beautiful, kind of pastoral, like lovely Tulidi music mm. that makes it all seem very romantic and and lovely. And then all of the scenes with his wife, Sazonia, they have no music and they never have sex face to face. And all of their sex is quite kind of violent or aggressive or involves somebody else. Involves Drusilla specifically. Yeah, like Drusilla. (laughs) Like, and this, the way that they portray all of that in some kind of attempt to give anybody involved a character, but they just have no ability to do it. (laughs) And like, the attempt is almost more interesting than if they had succeeded. (laughs) The fact that they tried, but were so bad at doing it and that it got edited and, and messed about with so badly. And uh, the fact that they have Drusilla be his one true love is something that I find fascinating because in every other 
depiction of Caligula up until 1979. It's filmed in 1976 and released in 1979. Up until that point, every other depiction of Caligula in modern and ancient texts has him having sex with Drusilla as either a rape, um, that he is raping his sisters and Drusilla, or that it is something that they're both engaged in, but which is extremely perverse and everyone around them is disgusted. And it is, it is like the sex is weird and it's weird that they're doing it. Yeah. And it's an aberration from Roman society as well as an aberration from what we as the viewer in the 20th, 21st century would be kind of for, for our morals as well. Yeah. Until you get to Caligula, and then it's presented as normal and loving and beautiful, beautiful and romantic, and romantic, and that they are made for each other, and that they can, like, they are the two who are meant to be together, and everyone is just getting in their way. And the, there's this whole tragedy that, like, that maybe he goes. It kind of suggests that the reason he goes so, um, you know, so deranged is because he can't be married to her. Because when yeah. he becomes emperor, he says to Drusilla, let's get married. And she's like, you have to marry someone, to marry else, someone else because yeah. I'm your sister. And, and then, then he says, fine, I shall marry Sazonia. And she says, she's the biggest slut in Rome. <laughs> yeah, so he has uh, has that. Um, and then after that, you it has such an impact kind of on the culture that you have lots of other depictions in both books and plays and musicals of Drusilla as his one true love and either that it is a product of their incredibly traumatic childhood. So because mm-hmm. Caligula is uh, the youngest of three boys and then Drusilla is the middle of three girls. So there's six children of Agrippina and Germanicus. Germanicus dies when they're all very young, possibly of just a fever, but it was very widely believed that Tiberius had had him poisoned. Because he was a very popular leader. He's incredibly popular. Yeah. And it is very widely believed that, that Tiberius murdered him because he was jealous of how popular he was. Agrippina never gets over this and is also a profoundly difficult and kind of, in a kind of wonderful way person. And so eventually Tiberius has her exiled for basically disobedience, insubordination. Uh, (laughs) So she's exiled for for insubordination and then she starves herself to death. Tiberius also arrests and kills both of Caligula's older brothers. Mm. So as far as really Caligula, Drusilla, Agrippina and Lavilla are concerned, Tiberius has murdered like their parents and brothers or members and, of their family yeah. yes and so they have this kind of quite traumatic upbringing and then live for another 10 years thinking that Tiberius could kill them at any point and so there you get very much a lot of depictions of Caligula as a traumatized boy who clings to Drusilla because he loves her he loves her truly and she is his only kind of safe space and they are actually profoundly in love and everyone is kind of fine with it Mm. which is a completely different interpretation of Roman culture. And rather than Roman culture being in kind of generally and inherently good and Caligula and Drusilla being an aberration, what you have instead is all of Roman culture is bad and violent and traumatic and it drives people to do things like this and really is it any wonder. And really Caligula and the 1970s completely change how... 
Rome is mostly portrayed on screen and in fiction in a lot of ways, uh, which is why I was, and as you can possibly tell, still am kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> because it's so... It's so bad. <laughs> it really has no redeeming features, but it's so impactful. And I've realised very recently, so I first heard of Caligula when I was 16 Mm-hmm. and I was doing A-level ancient history, which I only did because I didn't want to do modern history because if I ever have to learn anything about World War II ever again, I will die. <laughs> and so it was about six or eight weeks into the first term and my teacher, my beloved Jill Partington, said, now you probably all have heard of Caligula and it's on TV tonight and... You know, it's got all of this kind of sex and horrible pornography in it. And I know you're all going to watch it, but just beware that it's not accurate at all. And like when we go to learn about Suetonius, you're not going to, it bears no resemblance to what was actually going on. And we all went, the what now? (laughs) We've never heard of this film, but obviously we're going to watch it now. (laughs) Which, of course, we all did. And then I discovered very recently that it was shown as part of a Mark Kermode film four thing. So it's Mark Kermode's fault that I'm an ancient historian because that (laughs) film, I was like, what on... That was genuinely like my first proper exposure to the romance. (laughs) And you were like, yes, I'm in. I was like, yes. Because in the, we did the Greeks first in ancient history and we were doing the frogs, which is very fun. Like you get to go brachikakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakakak
this is so bonkers and it's kind of beautiful to me that something this bombastic and terrible and misguided from the beginning <laughs> exists like uh-huh. this is what i want people to be doing with th- their time is making swings this big and fucking up this badly and this is why i feel so sad about what late stage capitalism has robbed us of is that there aren't enough people doing this anymore you yeah know? All of the big movie failures are boring nowadays because they're all seeking money, whereas this was seeking sex, and I think that's beautiful. Yeah. This was trying to do a minimum of four things, but each of them was quite an impressive thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like the attempt to make a film about Caligula that portrays Caligula as a person. Yeah. Even if they are so rubbish at this that they call him Caligula all the time as if that's his given name. Yeah. And then they call him Little Boots when they want to be sweet about it. So they're just calling him Little Boots twice. Yeah. Which pisses me off every time. So they, <laughs> It's like, like when people the, say ATM machine. Yeah, exactly. A pin number. They could have just called him guys. But anyway, so there's that. Like, I think like even if they had managed to get that right, where they were like, oh, he's Gaius when but then his Caligula is a sweet name, but then Caligula can morph into a into a monstrous name. But no, they couldn't even manage to get that. No. And they're trying to make a film that has the the production values and the gravitas of a Ten Commandments, but is erotic, is an interesting thing to try to do. Yep. And the attempt to make a film that is about the corruption of power is an interesting thing to do. But all of it together just bangs into each other and also the guy who runs caligula.org who makes me look like the dilettante that i am because he has been obsessed with this film since 1979 (laughs) and he has spent his time like digging in archives and like got into the penthouse things and he's interviewed people and like he and he hates it so passionately that he has become (laughs) consumed by it and he he said he used to believe that somewhere because the script is is all right like that there might be if you could edit it somehow you could get a good film out of it but he's like i have seen the rushes and nothing that they filmed is good like at the base level it's filmed so badly (laughs) and like everything is directed and made and like designed and the dialogue is so bad, like all of it from top to bottom in the like original dailies is so terrible <laughs> that it is just a nightmare. <laughs> but they they really swang and they knocked they managed to swing around so hard that they knocked out three people and themselves with their own bat. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. You can't deny that it's impressive. Yeah. And honestly, yeah, I wish there would be be more of it. <laughs> yeah. More people should be allowed to do this kind of thing. More people should be allowed to do this kind of thing. More people should have been give, should be given the money to do this kind of thing. It's yeah. good for humanity. It's good for the soul. I would love to make a Caligula film because I also I the other reason that I kind of like really love Caligula is that Caligula is my favorite emperor in general because I think he's the most fascinating emperor. Mm-hmm. He is the first one who becomes emperor without any experience of the Republic. He's the first one who becomes emperor without any experience of public life at all. He just goes from child, isolated weirdo to emperor 
in one big step and has yeah. nothing in between. And he's the first emperor who has given all of the powers of emperor in one big go instead of over 50 years. And then he's like, oh, okay, so I'm I'm the ruler of all of you? And they go, mm, well, yeah, but no. And he's like, okay, so I just do what I like, yeah? And they go, no, 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 no. <laughs> you pretend that we have a say and we just agree with you. But we have to go through the whole performance. And he goes, okay, so... I do, I do what I like. Um, and it, it's just a, like a disaster for four years with just some wildly competing expectations banging into each other and then they kill him. And so as a representation of his career as emperor, this is actually quite good. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it would be super fun to make a film about Caligula that actually shows his who he kind of was. Yeah. Which is someone who never had, never could have been normal. He never had the opportunity no. to be normal or understand what the lives of normal people were like. And then he was in, he was emperor. Yeah, and and I think I've said this in every single book that I've ever written, but I'll say it again: the imperial court destroyed children. Like they yeah. were children who were brought up in the Roman imperial court from the very start, were brought up surrounded by sycophants and yes men and nothing else like as soon as you were in the imperial family from the day you were born people were telling you that you were borderline divine they were worshipping members of your family they were sacrificing to you they were treating you as though you were borderline the king already and it twisted their little growing brain meat and turned 100% of them into pricks yeah because of course it did there's not, so, there's not a person who could survive that. Yeah. So from the day he was born, Caligula was doomed. Yeah. And it, his mother particularly had this obsession with this idea that she had divine blood and her children had divine blood because her grandfather had been made a god and her great-grandfather had been made a god and that she was like more, literally more special than everybody else. She was above everybody else in the entire world and she brought her children up to believe that and so he was fucked he was never a normal boy that could and so yeah there's somewhere someone will make a film but this film probably has ruined the possibility (laughs) (laughs) if somebody would like to pay me to once again make a 10 part prestige drama we have a bunch of prestige dramas that we are reading and willing to make for you we have yeah we yeah. yeah got several this one one about Caligula yeah I mean, in fact, just drop us a line. We'll pitch you all of our prestige dramas. Yeah. But do you have anything else you would like to say about Caligula? Look, I I never thought that I would see so much unsimulated sex and, and also be so bored within one film. <laughs> it's, it's genuinely uh, deserves some sort of award for that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing that I would like to say is that I also own the novelization that was written by... A man going by the pseudonym of William Howard. They kind of had to do a novelization so that people had a chance of figuring out what the hell happened. Yeah, this bears even less, it bears no resemblance to the film. <laughs> it bears no resemblance to the original script, which I assume he never read. And it is just astonishingly and fabulously pornographic. Amazing. From the very beginning. It contains the line on page two, he had no place to live in this world except the hot wetness between his sister's legs. (laughs) But yeah, it is uh, one of of the worst things I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. 
yeah. So it, yeah, I don't watch Caligula. I strongly don't recommend it. But but if you but do, if it's between Caligula and The Room, watch Caligula. Oh yeah, watch Caligula probably. Yeah, yeah. It's more that's more fun than The Room. Yeah, way more fun. And by more fun, I mean more horrific. <laughs> and and it's got Malcolm McDowell in it, which The Room doesn't. Yeah, that is true. And Helen Mirren and Peter and Helen Mirren and Helen Mirren's tits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll do for now. Yeah, next time we will talk about matriarchies. Yes, next time. So we will definitely talk about matriarchies and we'll be back properly. And if you have a question that you would like to ask us or if you would like to support us in any way or if you want to see the Caligula.org or the trailer for the Courtney Love version or a bunch of other stuff that I will put, then you can go to historyissexy.com. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and I think that's everything. Great. Done. Great. Done and dusted. Finally, finally Caligula. We did Caligula. Yeah. Nobody ever really asked us to, but we did it anyway. <laughs> we asked ourselves to. We asked ourselves to, and also I, my top one favourite thing to do is make people watch Caligula. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Until next time. Bye, Janina. Bye. Bye.